You're like the sweet, innocent girl in... You know, you make me sound really boring, right, Josh? The good girl embodies our most classic, idealized notions of femininity, and she always does what she's supposed to. So why is she still shamed? Here's how to spot when a film or TV character falls into the good girl trope. She's innocent. The good girl is often inexperienced and set up in opposition to more sexualized female characters. Craziest place you've had sex. Pass. Are you a virgin? But her apparent virtue may make potential partners overlook her full womanhood and peg her as safe and comforting compared to the dangerous and exciting bad girl. She's a dreamy romantic, viewing love through rose-tinted, old-fashioned Disney princess glasses. But it can happen. People do live happily ever after. She's a homebody who loves her family and enjoys traditionally womanly activities like baking or crafting. I'm gonna need pipe cleaners, glitter, glue, finger paints, and six different types of macaroni, and that's just because I'm hungry. She's a savior, often a reforming influence for a bad boy only she can set on the straight and narrow. Jamie saved my life. She taught me everything. Most of all, she plays by the rules. The good girl is nice, polite, and probably a straight-A student. Yet this perfect-seeming facade can mask her darker struggles, even from herself. You okay? I'm supposed to say yes. That's what the nice girl always says, but... No, I'm not. And even though the good girl is acting exactly as her society says a woman is supposed to, she's still frequently punished or looked down on for that, criticized as a prude or dorky, boring, or not in touch with herself. He always said you were such a frigid little girl. This kind of shaming sometimes makes it feel like women just can't win. But today, many on screen and off are reclaiming the good girl and redefining what good means based on their own rules. Here's our take on why it's time to stop assuming the good girl is boring and repressed and start appreciating when true goodness can be greatness. If you're new here, be sure to subscribe and hit the bell to be notified about all of our new videos. This video is sponsored by Skillshare, an online community offering thousands of classes by creative instructors. Right now, the first 1,000 viewers to click the link in the description below will get an entire month of Skillshare for free. Explore all kinds of classes, from the path to YouTube success with Marquez Brownlee, a creator with 13 million followers, to taking perfect portraits with photographer Jessica Kobesi. Click the link in the description to try Skillshare today. The blueprint for the good girl came in the 1950s with the archetype of the American housewife, the perfect suburban homemaker, nurturer, and mother who embraced her domestic goddess role. Exemplified by characters like Donna Reed, the adventures of Ozzy and Harriet's Harriet Nelson, and Father Knows Best's Margaret Anderson, these characters link female goodness to a feeling of innocence and traditional family values. You don't know who Donna Reed is? The quintessential 50s mom with the perfect 50s family? Never without a smile and high heels? Yet as time goes on, stories increasingly shame good girls for echoing that ideal. Society's view of the good girl is shaped by the Freudian theory of the Madonna and the whore, in which he suggested that men see women as either virtuous mothers or objects of lust. So while men may love and even worship the mother figure or Madonna, they don't desire them. And on screen, the good girl is rarely seen as a sexual being. In New Girl, Jess embodies old-fashioned notions of femininity in her love of crafting and her maternal role as a well-intentioned primary school teacher. But all of this is linked to a dorky, inexperienced attitude towards sex, which is often a punchline. I was wondering if there are any trendy moves. 
because uh, I've been doing the same four for the last six years. Playing into the Madonna whore stereotype, good girl Jess is contrasted with her more sexually liberated supermodel friend Cece. She's really grabby, really physical. She's really loose with her body. And even though both actresses playing the characters are beautiful, the writing constantly tells us Jess is less attractive, seemingly in large part due to her desexualized good girlness. In Sex and the City, Charlotte is constantly made fun of for having traditional values, being more ambivalent about casual sex, and wanting a husband and family. Not only that, but when she does get her feminine American dream, it tellingly doesn't come with a satisfying sex life. You've never had sex. You've never had sex? But you've been married for over a month! You've On Grey's Anatomy, good girl April Kepner's virginity is made fun of by the rest of the staff. You're still a virgin. No, I'm not. Hey, there's no shame in it. Really? No, there's shame. A lot of shame. Black Swan makes the good girl-bad girl dichotomy more literal than ever by transplanting it onto the white swan and black swan figures of Swan Lake, and echoing that binary with visuals that draw extensively on black and white costumes and set dressing. Nina is aggressively shamed by her dance company's artistic director for being too uptight and sexually repressed, to an almost absurd degree. Would you f*** that girl? No. No one would. While bad girl Lily's lack of worry or concern for rules is directly linked to the sense that she oozes sex appeal. But I carry a spare, in case I wake up somewhere unexpected. In the opening episode of Riverdale, Archie is immediately taken by alluring, dark-haired city girl Veronica Lodge, even as the prim, proper Betty is about to confess her love for him. And when Betty does reveal her feelings, the reason Archie gives for not seeing her in a romantic light is even that she's too perfect and good. You are so perfect. I've never been good enough for you. I'll never be good enough for you." Yet while she is not sexualized, the good girl's moral virtue is depicted as being a positive influence on bad boys. She may even be the only woman capable of reforming this guy from someone superficial, promiscuous, or emotionally detached into a committed partner. In After, the virginal Tessa is already in a stable relationship when she meets the brooding rebel Hardin, and gets seduced by the mystery wrapped up in his bad boy image. At every stage when Hardin shows his edgier side, Tessa is there for him, willing to support him and also learn from him. My life before him was so simple and decided. In Gilmore Girls, bad boy Jess is far more rebellious and unpredictable than Rory's more traditional and nice first boyfriend Dean, but because Rory bonds with Jess over literature, she sees beyond his bad boy image to unlock the potential and sensitivity others overlook. Bridgerton's Daphne molds committed bachelor the Duke of Hastings into an honorable, loving husband, and in the process pretty much cures his emotional issues stemming from his childhood. Even Lisa Simpson strays into a desire to be the reforming influence when she starts dating Nelson Muntz, convinced that there's more to him than the high school bully, and all he needs is a sweet, nice, good girl to fix him. Very sharp. But I feel like such a tool! I know it's a change, but it really highlights your sweet and sensitive side. This dynamic isn't purely selfless. There is also a mutuality to the good girl bad boy trope, as if it's just as important for the good girl to take some of the bad boy influence as it is for the bad boy to be reformed. Grease's Sandy and Crybaby's Allison are cruelly derided as squares by their peers, but their good girl lifestyles are stifling. Part of their desires for Danny and Crybaby lie in the freedom and independence that the love interest's bad boy nature represents. The good girl gone bad trope suggests that within the Madonna whore binary, the bad girl is always there waiting to come out if given the chance, and that girls can only really move in one direction, from good to bad. 
In Rihanna's Good Girl Gone Bad, the transformation from good girl to bad is characterized as a kind of death through lyrics like, easy for a good girl to go bad and once we've gone, best believe we've gone forever. And when Taylor Swift launched a more dangerous, darker image in Look What You Made Me Do, she lent into the same idea. The old Taylor can't come to the phone right now. She's dead. Innocent Christian girl Jessica on True Blood is murdered and turned into a vampire, thus fated to remain an eternal virgin, even as she becomes a very sexually active undead creature. Even when the good girl to bad trajectory isn't a literal death, it often plays out as a total transformation, which signals a new kind of desirability that wasn't present before. Sandy, tell me about it. The good girl gone bad trope is a popular sexual fantasy. Ariana Grande's Dangerous Woman video embodies this connection between the bad girl and sexuality, as if the good girl going bad is simply just her tapping into her sexiness and desires. And I feel like Dangerous Woman is always inside all of us. Yeah. And every now and then, she just gotta come out. There's also a sense that for the childish good girl to be taken seriously as a woman, or even as a professional, she has to break with her good girl image. In The Bling Ring and Spring Breakers, which cast former child stars Emma Watson, Vanessa Hudgens, and Selena Gomez, each in one of their first significant adult roles. This becomes a meta-narrative, with their more dangerous characters signifying that as actors, they don't have to be confined by their original wholesome public personas. But this whole metaphor of killing your good girl self to become the fully sexual and adult woman is troubling because it reveals how women feel pressure to fragment themselves into two separate selves rather than one integrated whole. In Riverdale, Betty Cooper's sultry bad girl self is so split from her good, repressed, preppy self, she can only express dark Betty as a full-on alter ego complete with a black wig. Betty could make it. So she sent me instead. Fortunately, Betty's journey isn't one of complete transformation, but rather toward a gradual reconciliation between both her dark and light side. Similarly, in Modern Family, Claire, initially a modern update to the 1950s housewife and mother, is contrasted with her father's more overtly sexy second wife, Gloria. And she tries to protect her pretty daughter, Haley, from going down the path of the irresponsible bad girl. But it sometimes emerges that the distance between Claire and Gloria isn't really as large as it seems. Claire is denying her own bad girl past, hiding that part of herself because of the shame attached to it. I was out of control growing up there. You know, I said it. <laughs> I, I, I just don't want my kids to make the same bad mistakes I made. In Black Swan, Nina is less successful at bridging this gap, which leads to a tragic ending. After the ballerina is told she's essentially too perfect to embody the Black Swan character, I see you obsessed getting each and every move perfectly right, but I never see you lose yourself. Like Betty, she experiences a complete fragmentation of the self. She can only become the Black Swan by envisioning this as a completely separate person. The near impossibility of embodying both the pure white swan and the sexual black swan within her world causes her to destroy herself. And this time, the death isn't just of the good girl white swan, but of Nina's whole self. As Nina experiences, the good girl, bad girl binary reveals a catch-22. Both the good girl and bad girl are derided and treated as somehow wrong or inadequate. Neither path is truly accepted by society, and both tropes are wielded to manipulate female behavior. In impeachment, President Clinton controls Monica Lewinsky by urging her to be a good girl. I thought you were a good girl. I've been good. 
I've driven myself crazy trying to be good. But this is ironic because it's Clinton's actions that make her perceived as the bad girl who will be ripped apart by the public. So women are damned if they do, damned if they don't. Society will shame good girls for being too innocent, too pure, and too boring, but will also blame them when they go bad for being manipulative, deceitful weaponizers of sexuality. And as all these stories show, the good girl, bad girl fragmentation is especially insidious because it's so internalized for many women who hold themselves back from happiness because they're conditioned to believe being good is irreconcilable with their natural, sophisticated adult desires. If you want to get these guys, you have to keep your mouth shut and play by the rules. So what if goodness weren't inherently shamed and women could be good girls without having their motivations questioned or people waiting for them to eventually turn bad? Lara Jean in the To All the Boys I've Loved Before trilogy represents a new incarnation of the good girl, where her recognizable traits of goodness aren't an act being put on to hide an intensely repressed self. She genuinely enjoys staying in, hanging out with her sisters and baking up a storm. I am experimenting with the wedding cake recipes. And she has very classic girly romantic fantasies. At the same time, we see Lara Jean grow and expand her comfort zone through going to parties, falling in love, and connecting with new people, without any of this being some kind of shocking, unnatural 180 to the dark side. So throughout her arc, Lara Jean's allowed to continue embodying traits of goodness like being a homebody and loving her family, with these simply being authentic aspects of her character that many viewers can relate to. Stranger Things also develops the good girl trope when perfect-seeming Nancy Wheeler subverts the traditional good girl-bad boy pairing. At first, Nancy does fit into the textbook good girl mold, while her bad boy love interest Steve Harrington acts like a self-involved high school bully. But while Steve does reform in part thanks to Nancy's influence, Nancy ends up much more invested in the already sensitive, quiet outsider Jonathan. We've got shared trauma. So it's a little more, right? Her influence on Jonathan also isn't to morally improve him, but to help bring him out of his shell. In fact, it's their shared goodness and moral code that bring the two together and keep them together. So Nancy doesn't have to change to better embody Steve's characteristics, because there's already someone else she's able to be herself with. The problem with the good girl has never been that goodness isn't something to aspire to, but that the label can be a stifling, limiting box that women are forced into and pushed to impose on themselves. Today's evolved good girl is more well-rounded and multidimensional. Keely in Ted Lasso has never had any problem having fun and owning her sexuality, while her character also gets a sense of purpose from being a caring and mature presence in her friends' and colleagues' lives. This is Rupert's and my anniversary weekend, and it's the first one I've spent by myself. <sighs> Lavinia in Dickinson is introduced as Emily Dickinson's more rule-following and feminine sister. But over the course of the series, she increasingly explores how she can be a good girl who integrates all aspects of herself, including her sexual side, and lives by her morals rather than just the conventions of her time. You're the perfect wife for me, and I know it. Ship, we broke up because you can't ever accept me for who I am. One minute I'm too sexual, the next I'm too intellectual. Now that a lot of the artificial boundaries surrounding the good girl are increasingly breaking down, goodness can be embraced as something that, well, feels good. 
In Jane the Virgin, Jane's world is constantly being thrown into flux, but she holds on to her goodness almost as a survival mechanism. Good always triumphs over evil. In The Good Place, we see that it is very much possible for a character to reverse the classic direction of the arc and go from bad girl to good, in a sense that's not related to sexuality, but unlocking deeper moral goodness. Eleanor, a self-confessed bad person who believes she's been mistakenly placed in heaven, finds that being good and acting out of love for others gives her the fulfillment she's always felt was lacking. Showrunner Michael Schur cited ethicist Tim Scanlon's book What We Owe to Each Other as the defining principle of the show, saying, What he says in the book is a controversial position, but which I found to be very uncontroversial, which is that you ought to design rules that couldn't be rejected by the people that you're having to share the world with. So here, goodness is reframed not as innocence, purity, or anything inherently gendered or sexualized, but as a sophisticated process of continually striving toward becoming more empathetic, considerate, and kinder citizens of this planet. What matters isn't if people are good or bad. What matters is if they're trying to be better today than they were yesterday. In terms of what's expected of women, the goalposts always seem to be shifting. They have to be mothers, homemakers, girl bosses, but now not girl bosses, sexually liberated but not too sexually liberated, to the point where it's hard for them to simply be themselves. Archetypes like the good girl have historically been constructed by men and for men, and defined mostly by a confining absence of taboo behaviors rather than positive expressions of agency. So it's crucial that today's more well-rounded, integrated good girls are self-defined and appealing to other women. Many of the good girl's qualities, like her hope, kindness, hardworking nature, and love for family, but the best part is spending time with my sisters, are worth emulating by any human. So the good girl, far from being left behind in the past, is ready to enter a new era, one in which genuine goodness isn't shamed or used to shame others, and where she can exist on her own terms, without feeling pressured to adopt anyone else's definition of what good really means. I am a twisted, witchy, creative, horny woman. This is The Take on your favorite movie shows and culture. Subscribe so you can watch all of our videos. I'm willing to bet that The Good Girl would love Skillshare. It's bursting with fun classes on everything from crafting to baking to self-care. Right now, the first 1,000 viewers to click the link in the description below will get an entire month of Skillshare for free. I'm constantly looking at how I can speak to more people through my personal essays. So I loved Sari Botten's course, Writing Essays, Making the Personal Universal. It gave me the tools to create stories about my experiences that will still appeal to a wide audience. Skillshare is designed to give you the best possible learning experience, so they have a strict no-ads policy, and they're always launching new classes to help you improve your practice. So click the link in the description below and start nourishing your creativity today.